0: Today is our last day, last week in our series called The Bottom Line. We're still doing the Core 52, but this is just a part of that. The bottom line is that God wants everyone to experience freedom in Christ. Freedom from the shackles of sin and death. And every one of us as Christians should desire to see people freed in Christ. Now, 245 years ago, our founding fathers wanted freedom too. The Declaration of Independence declared the inalienable rights of the citizens of this land. Now, it may surprise many people that when the fighting began, the goal of the founding fathers was not really to create a new independent country, it was simply to get the King of England to allow them to have representation in the government. It wasn't until some time later when they realized that the rift was so great and they knew that they could not repair the relationship that they decided to finally seek independence. Many colonists still considered themselves British subjects. Once the Declaration of Independence became public, there was no turning back. They just wanted to hold out long enough that the British would see that the war was too costly. I don't think many of the uh, founding fathers had the illusion that our American army could actually win a long war with the British army. The British army was the most powerful army on the planet. And in fact, they won most of the battles of the Revolutionary War. But the Founding Fathers were holding out the hope that the French would come in and join them and that this would push them over the edge. And finally, when the French did enter the war, the British were surrounded at Williamsburg and the French Navy cut off any hope of their escape. So an army was defeated. That wasn't the end of the war, but that was a huge momentum swing for the American Revolution. There were many moments when the outcome of that war was certainly uncertain. (laughs) But those founding fathers held on to hope. Now I'm gonna say America has never been a perfect country. I don't know any country that has ever existed that you could say was perfect, that never made bad decisions, that never, you know, made decisions that didn't hurt somebody in the in the country. But the vision of the founding fathers laid the groundwork for a nation that could do tremendous good, not only for its citizens, but for the citizens of the world. And I think that it is a good thing to be grateful to God for this nation and the good that we have been able to do and the potential good that we still can do. Those founding fathers had a strategy to gain their freedom. And in the very beginning, Jesus laid out a strategy to his disciples for offering freedom to the world. The problem is that we, we can get so caught up in the latest, newest ideas, the latest techniques and technologies, that we forget the simple origins of the church. And so in our study this week, Mark Moore reminded us of the simple strategy that Jesus had for offering freedom to a lost world. We simply partner with God on His mission. That's why it's called a co-mission. We aren't in this alone. He is with us. And so The bottom line for this message today is that Jesus has given us the strategy to win the world. All we have to do is follow it. So we turn over to Matthew 28, a very familiar passage to most of us. We go to verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I want to suggest a three-part strategy for us to accomplish this mission. And the first is that we need to pray. We need to pray to the one who has all authority. Jesus said, I have all authority. And in fact, Jesus even prayed for the workers of God's harvest to come forth. In Matthew 9, verse 37, we read, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This was Jesus' prayer. And boy, you know, the numbers of uh, people who are serving God uh, vocationally as ministers and pastors, those numbers are dwindling. You can barely find somebody going to a Bible college these days to to say, I want to be a preacher. So our numbers are dwindling. The workers are still few. But friends, that harvest is still huge. I'm telling you the first thing that we need to do in order to reach out to our community, to our world, is that we need to pray. And listen, sharing Jesus with your friends, family, and neighbors your mailman, your waiters, your whoever it may be, that can be challenging. But Jesus prayed about this, and I think we need to pray about this. Maybe, maybe you can examine your own heart and your own prayer life and ask yourself, am I consistently praying for God to open the door for me to share faith with someone? Am I consistently praying that God would add people, workers, to reach out to this harvest field? You know, we wonder why we aren't seeing results. Well, maybe we aren't praying enough. Prayer is the foundational and fundamental tool to any big challenge that we face. Whether it is health care or financial issues or relationships, but especially in evangelism, prayer needs to be the first thing that we do. Pray with a purpose. So I'm going to ask you today to join us in a 30-day prayer challenge. In your bulletin, uh, you have a little card And on that card, I want you to write down the name of a person that you know needs to have a relationship with Jesus. Somebody that you have a relationship with already, somebody that you have a connection to, somebody that you have some amount of influence with. You know, in Romans 10, 1, we read, Brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them that might be saved. Now, Paul was praying for people so that they might be saved. The Greek word translated prayer is literally a word that means plead. Paul is pleading to God to save the Israelites. When was the last time we pleaded with God to save one of our friends? or one of our family members. And as you plead with God for your friend, there are some things on that card that you can pray specifically about. Pray for God to reveal himself to that person that you're wanting to talk to. Pray for God to prepare or soften that person's heart that you want to discuss Christ with. Pray for God to provide opportunities to talk about spiritual things. Pray for God to give you boldness to talk about Christ. And when you pray, rely on His Spirit. Trust that the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom and leading in what you need to say and how you need to say it. And, you know, we're going to have a time of prayer at the end of our service today. I've asked some folks uh, who I'm just calling our prayer team. And at the end of the service, they're going to be surrounding our room here. And I want you to take that card with that name. And I want you to go to one of those people, somebody that's going to be close to you, wherever you're seated. And I want you to pray for that person with our prayer team. So this is a challenge. Today is going to be the first day of the challenge. You're going to begin by praying today. And I want to challenge you to be obedient to the opportunities that God is going to provide. Because I tell you what, God wants to save that person. And if you have a willing heart, God will use you to help. And then let's just see what happens. This is our first strategy. The second strategy we need to use after we have sincerely prayed and pleaded to God for the soul of this lost person is to pursue the lost. Now, we read that in the Great Commission, where we are told to go, uh, pursue, go to the nations. Jesus, in essence, is commanding that as we go into the world, we should make disciples. Now, what does it look like to pursue the lost? I mean, are we chasing them down with the Bible, beating them over the head? No, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about reaching out to people, going where they may be, not expecting them to come here, but us going to them. In 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 19, Paul writes, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now Paul was teaching that He did whatever he possibly could do to meet the needs of those he was trying to win. He was reaching out to them. Now, he didn't change his core beliefs. He didn't sin in his effort to reach the lost. When he says, I become all things to all men, that's not saying, well, I became a murderer to reach the murderers. That's that's not what he was saying. But he did whatever it took so that he might win some. He was a determined pursuer. Now, there, there's a warning that we need to be aware. Let, let's be smart as we do that. Don't sin in order to reach the sinner. I've heard some people say, well, you know, if I'm going to reach somebody in the bar, I need to go in and have a drink. And I'm not even saying that taking a drink is a sin. Now, you might feel differently. I'm not, I'm, that's not the argument I'm making. I'm just saying that you don't have to do that to reach somebody that's drinking. Uh, any more than you have to, you know, become a thief to reach somebody that was a thief. That is a silly argument. We don't need to be obnoxious in our pursuit. <laughs> you know, it is that person's choice. So we're not going to bash people over the head and put marks on our Bible. That's not what it's all about. We need to live out our faith and love and grace, and we need to be there for people to help them. What I have come to realize is that no one will care what you have to say unless they know that you care about them. Non-Christians aren't just going to show up at church. We have to go to them. And that's why Jesus' strategy was go. He didn't say, wait around till they get to you. But he said, go. But we also have to be wise as we go. Wherever you go, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you study, whatever you do, Jesus wants you to be aware of the people who are around you so that you could possibly help them become a disciple of Christ. Now, the third strategy I want to give you today is really your plan of action. And this is to persuade. To to persuade someone to become a disciple. To persuade someone to be baptized into Christ. To persuade someone to learn as much as they can about Jesus. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on all of these things, but I want you to understand so that uh, you have a plan of action. Uh, One thing that you can do to maybe meet some people in your community, in your neighborhood, is to do a prayer walk. Just simply walk through your neighborhood and pray. And as you, as you walk by, don't walk up to somebody's house and put your hands on it, that's not what I'm saying, okay? You might get shot if you do that, okay? But just walk by the road and just be praying for somebody. And if you meet somebody who's out in their yard, have a nice conversation with them. Uh, initiate a conversation. It can literally begin over anything. Uh, Look for opportunities to talk about real life, real spiritual things. I remember a guy named Roy Weiss, who was a campus minister years ago when I was in the campus ministry. And that guy was tremendous. One day he was out, uh, he, he had a gas leak in a gas line by his house. And the guy was out there working on the gas line to prepare it. And as Roy was out there talking to the guy, Roy made a, you know, they had a little small talk, but then Roy made a statement about how, isn't it interesting how God provides all of these natural resources for, for all of these things. And that one little statement sprang into a deeper conversation. And about three or four hours later, he baptized that guy into Christ. Isn't that amazing? But he was initiating a conversation, looking for an opportunity to talk about Christ. And we need to introduce Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can do this. I'm going I'm to share one particular way that can be helpful to you. There are a lot of, again, other ways to do this, but there's this thing called the three circles I'm going to share with you in just a moment. Now, Mark Moore calls this making Jesus famous. Now, if, if that's what we you know, if that's the, the idea, you, you can let, let the pressure go. It, it, it's not up to you to save the person. You get that? You can't save anybody. Only God can save people. And His Holy Spirit can use things that you say to prick someone's heart. But all we're trying to do is make Jesus famous. We're just telling our story along with Jesus' story. We're just communicating what Jesus means to us and what he has done for us. And again, I say there are many ways to do this, but here's a simple tool. I think it's simple. Once you get into it, I hope you'll think it's simple too. But it's called the three circles. Now, the first circle that you see is God's design, right? Right? And I want you to just think about how if you're in a restaurant, you're talking to a friend, you could pick out a, you could just take a napkin and draw this on the napkin, okay? It is that simple. So you draw a circle, and it says God's design. The first circle represents The design God had in creating the universe. And the Bible says he was very pleased with it. It was beautiful. The entire creation fit together in perfect harmony. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no hatred. There was no prejudice. God made man in his image so that he could reach out to God and worship him and walk with him. That was God's design. He wanted to have that intimate connection to his creation. Well, then we see the arrow. That arrow represents sin. Sin entered the picture. What we discover is that life doesn't work when we ignore God and his original design for our lives. We selfishly insist on doing things our way. We want to be the boss. The Bible calls this sin. We all sin. We all distort the original design. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the consequences of sin is a separation from God in this life and for eternal life. And that brings us to the second circle. That second circle is brokenness. Sin leads to brokenness we see this all around us we see it in our own lives when we realize life is not working we begin to look for a way out we tend to go in many different directions trying different things to figure it out on our own brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater and so we see these little arrows coming out from that circle And each of those arrows represents a broken part of our life. And as you write that on the napkin, and as you explain this to your friend, you can even share with them about the brokenness in your own life. This isn't trying to say you're perfect and never had any problems. No, this is realizing we all have problems. We've all had brokenness, broken relationships, broken promises, broken hearts. The pain and the sadness and the guilt that we experience because of sin. Every one of those arrows represents that brokenness. We're in a situation that we can't get out of on our own. We can't fix our brokenness without God's help. And that brings us to the third circle. And that third circle is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. Because of God's love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to rescue us and return us to live according to God's design. He came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin, he took our shame, he took our pain, he took our brokenness on that cross with him. He paid the penalty for our sin and for our death. Jesus was raised from the dead to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. Well, now we have another era. And this arrow is taking us to the good news. Simply hearing this good news is not really enough. We must respond the way God has instructed us to respond. Uh, We must believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, that He is the only way to restore us back to God. We must turn away from the sin that has separated us from God. In other words, we must repent and turn away towards Jesus and we ask him to forgive us for our sin. We're to confess our faith in him and that means that we are not ashamed to call Jesus the Lord of our life. We're excited in fact to speak out and to make Jesus famous with everyone we know because we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God who has saved us and freed us. We need to be baptized into Christ, symbolically washing away our sins. But God does something to us when we obey. He gives us His Spirit to live within us and dwell within us. He changes us, recreates us into a new creation. Now the next arrow is where we recover and pursue Now we have a relationship with God. Now, this doesn't mean that all of our brokenness is over and we never have brokenness again. But it now means that we can deal with our brokenness because we have the Holy Spirit living in us to help us. Our relationship with God is restored and we can begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. Now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our life. Even when we fail, we understand God's path to being restored. It is the good news of Jesus. God's Spirit empowers us to pursue His design and assures us of His presence in this life and even for eternity. And now we can grow into that relationship and make Jesus famous with other people. Now, that, that's the three circles. After sharing those three circles, what would we do after that? Well, we could invite our friend to accept Jesus right then and there. Now, you might think, oh, that never happens, but it, it can happen. Maybe that person is ready because you've already been praying, right? You've been praying that God would prepare their heart, and now you're sharing your faith. Pray with them, If they accept Christ, if they say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life, you can take their confession of faith, you can pray with them about the forgiveness of sin, and then you can immerse them into Christ. We've already been through those basics with them. They may not be ready to make the decision right away, though. And if that's the case, you can invite them to join you in a Bible study, Maybe it's a one-on-one study where you meet with them every week. Maybe you have some other friends that you meet with and you invite them to join you. Maybe you invite them to the church. This is the easiest part, and yet it's one of the most difficult, it seems. You know, it can help getting somebody into a Bible study or into church can help that person with some of the other questions they may have. We can have the support of the church in reaching our friend. Uh, The church can help introduce them to other Christians so that they're not just relying upon you, but now they have other people that they can talk with and pray with. It ensures that they're going to hear the Word of God taught and preached. Make sure you go into a church that is doing that. It will give them opportunities to worship. We want to get them connected to the body as quickly as possible. Friends, every one of you can actually lead someone to Christ. It's not as hard as we think. It's not rocket science. You may think you don't have all the answers or the right to speak to someone else about their relationship with God. But as a Christian, You are called an ambassador of Christ. What does that mean? It means you speak on behalf of your Lord. The authority doesn't come from within you. It comes from Him. But when you approach a person, all you are doing is making Jesus famous by bragging about Jesus. You're not bragging about you. You're bragging about Jesus. Mark Moore pointed out in the Core 52 online study this week, that only 4% of all Christians have ever led another person to Christ. That's that's an amazing statistic. We know from some other resources that only 2% of Christians have led someone outside of their family to Christ. That's that's crazy as well. And Mark Moore pointed out that the large majority of that 4% will invite their friends or their family to church. We make Jesus famous by connecting people with other Christians. One out of three people who don't go to church, who maybe once did, plan on returning. All they need is an invitation. One in three may want to go, but they might not be able to go this week. So you might invite them and they'll go, well, I got something I got to do. I got to work, I got to do this. Well, don't give up. Invite them again. In fact, Mark Moore says, invite them three times. You may have to invite three people three times to get one yes. (laughs) But when you invite them, give them a little bit more detail about what to expect. Okay? Provide the address of the church. You know, don't just say, hey, I'll see you. You Let them know where the church is. Don't assume. Offer to meet them at a particular time. You know, change your schedule a little because their soul is what you're interested in. Invite them to coffee at the church. We, we got coffee again now, so you can invite them to meet you uh, to do that. It, it is simple. Friends, this is a church family. It, it is actually a place where we can come and learn and grow. You will need other Christians to support and help your friends become mature Christians. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so you need to connect with other people in the church. You've been uh, there, uh, you, you walk in the room, and you immediately look for somebody you know, right? If you're in a strange place, you're looking around for somebody you know. Well, think of how that person will feel when they come to church. Make sure you're there. Make sure they know you're there. We want to help develop them spiritually. We want to help them mature in their faith. We want to help them learn the Bible so that one day they could teach someone else. And isn't that what we want? We want them to eventually share with others simply what Jesus has done for them. That's the process that Jesus has given us. That is the great co-mission as we partner with God to reach people so that they can be freed from the power of sin. This should be our first priority as Christians. This is God's mission. He's invited us to be a part of it. And it was the final command Jesus gave to his disciples. But it should be our first priority. So I hope you have thought of someone who needs Jesus. Have you written their name down on that piece of paper? I hope you will. Today, we're going to have a few moments right now. As we close, we're going to have some special time of prayer. And I'm going to have my friends, sort of surround the, the worship center here, ready to pray for you if you have someone that you want to pray for. Um, we, we want to pray that God will help you share your faith with them. Um, again, they'll be around the room. You can go to the person closest to you or maybe a person you feel more comfortable talking to about this. So, also, if you need prayer for any reason, just step to that person and let them pray with you. Now, the praise team will play as people pray. They're going to just play quietly. And if you aren't seeking prayer, just stay in your seat and just be in prayer. Uh, Maybe a name will come to you. Or maybe you can just pray for someone else that's around. Or maybe you need to pray for yourself that God would, you know... Put that burden and desire on your heart. And at the end of this, uh, Cruz will close us in prayer and uh, uh, free us from being in the building.